If you could stand and join me. We're going to be reading from Genesis 17 today, starting 17.1. Now when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to... Sorry. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant. which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants, a servant who is born in your house, or who is bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man one hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah your wife will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all the servants who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, 
And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son. All the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, So do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant, and he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, There in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed bury child when I am old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Thank you. Be seated. Thank you, Beth. Well, good morning. Can I invite you to pray with me this morning? Lord, I thank you for your word. We are like Abraham and Sarah. We selectively choose how we want to follow you. And Lord, it's the standard that's put before us in the very first line of chapter 17. Walk with me and be blameless. Lord, as a people, we recognize that you have been incredibly patient with us just as you have been patient with Abraham. But Lord, I pray that as we learn to walk with you, Lord, I pray that our faith would increase. We hope in the promises and the declaration that even Paul encouraged the church with. He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. And we pray that for ourselves. And Lord, I pray that as we even reflect on the maturity of the faith which Abraham and Sarah um, was revealed to us in the text this morning, Lord, I pray that uh, we would not become critical ourselves of their faith, but also reflective, I pray, more so of our own. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were to look back 13 years into your life, Starting from this point, and I know some of you might not be able to do that, being too young, 
Go back five years. Are you closer to the Lord now than you were then? Or, let's flip it, the way that you walk now, where will you be in 13 years in light of your relationship with God? I've chosen to preach this passage a little bit differently, a little bit more reflectively. Something happens between chapter 16, verse 16, and 17, verse 1. It's a rare opportunity the reader has. And so with that, can I just pull back to one more verse? I know we read it quite a bit this morning. But if you pull back just one verse, it's chapter 16, verse 16. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. The distance between 16, or chapter 16, verse 16, and 17, 1 is 13 years, in which the reader is privileged to be able to observe the maturity of faith in Abram and Sarah, Sarai in the course of how life has gone and how their relationship with God has developed over time. It happens in an instant for the reader. And yet we know 13 years is a slow process. And the writer gives us the opportunity to be able to observe and then see how are they doing. And his life progresses instantly for the reader in 13 verses. And I find it easy, if you're like me, to observe someone else's faith or the lack thereof rather than to reflect on one's own position. Like Paul would argue in Romans as we have come to be familiar with. These things were written for your advantage. And so while it is tempting to observe Abram and Sarai and really realistically, I can think I could preach this passage reflectively because of one of two reasons. First is primarily this is like the eighth or ninth time you've been with us going through Genesis where the covenant has been promised to Abraham and Sarai. We're, we ought to be very familiar with it. God has more than enough spoken what he has promised he would do through Abram and Sarai. And so in some sense, I, can, I, know, I recognize that because of the frequency that this promise has been made by God, I think it causes us for us this morning to be able to look at it reflectively. And while the promise has been stated over and over and over again, what the author puts before us is their attitude. And their response towards the patience of God given to them. It's easy to observe someone else's faith or the lack of thereof than your own. As it relates to your Savior, Jesus Christ, where will you be in 13 years in relationship with Him? And what are, or how are you living now? There is something here, like, you get to see a man and a woman who have been given promises and have yet entrusted themselves to it. And we've already seen the consequences of their lack of faith, the, 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 the willingness to mature minimally, that like they, they are unwilling to fully grasp the full promise of God has caused heartache, not only for their family, it's caused division between Abram and Lot, 
made it awkward with Eliezer. Eli, well, we'll see here last week, as we saw last week, Eliezer. We have the product of their lack of their faith. Sarai's Sarah response saying, hey, Abram, here's Hagar. We have a father who has a son named Ishmael, who Abram's wife, Sarah, despises. Their lack of faith has become troublesome, not only for the family, but it's also become troublesome for even the nations. As Pharaoh was deceived by Abram, he took Sarai to be his wife, only to realize not Sarai's, Abram's wife, and he felt the curses of the Lord for that response. So the impact of immature faith or unwillingness to trust the Lord does have its consequence for the individual and for those around us. So I think it is fitting and I think it is appropriate to ask the question, when you think about where you'll be in 13 years, it's, it's a reflective per, uh, perspective or idea, but only in a sense for yourself, but also recognizing how it will impact those around you as you live out your faith amongst the people of God or the world around you. You might expect that after 13 years of the promises stated regularly by God, even in spite of their unfaithfulness, that Abram and Sarai might have come along and now grasp it, trust themselves to it. And so in chapter 17 and chapter 18, we see point one, the maturity of their faith of where they're at. Before I get to chapter 17 and chapter 18, I know that the reading was rather long, but I felt it was fitting, and if you would give me just a moment, if I may, to explain why I did the, chose the reading that we did this morning, the two chapters mirror themselves. They, they, they repeat themselves. So in Genesis chapter 17, 1, you see the Lord appear. In Genesis chapter 18, you see the Lord appear. He primarily speaks to Abram, Abraham in chapter 17 and chapter 18, with reference to Sarah in 18. But the main focus in which the Lord speaks is Abram. The maturity of their faith is revealed in chapter 17, Abram. And the maturity of Sarah's faith is revealed in chapter 18 as well. The Lord in both chapters corrects their response and immediately reaffirms his promises before leaving. The two chapters mirror themselves to stress the point twice. You might expect that they might... Both have developed differently in the last 13 years, but the way the writer has chosen to write these things, he's showing us their own individual positions by mirroring these accounts. Because of that, I think we can choose to look at this reflectively. And we are given this opportunity in chapter 17 to see where Abram's at. Look at with me in chapter 17, verse 7. Or verse 2, excuse me, verse 2. God appears before Abram and he says, I will establish my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. Notice Abram's response. Abram fell on his face. God talked with him. 
the means of grace, which God has done even for the last several chapters with Abram. He has appeared before him. He has spoken to him in vision. He has heard the voice of the Lord. And here now he's having a conversation with Abram, just like you might have seen with Adam and Eve in the garden. And for the next uh, several verses, I counted, I think, 15 times. God stresses, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will do this covenant with you. God has revealed his fullest attention and intention with Abram. And Abram, in response, falls on his face in a heart of worship. He's highly He highly recognizes who God is and what is required of him as a result of who he is. And so he responds in worship. And God reminds him of what he is about to do. But I want you to notice as God speaks, because he is going to speak from verses 4 all the way through verse 14. This is what I will do. This is how you shall respond. This is what I will do. This is how you shall respond. Abram doesn't say, Abraham doesn't say anything. Even when his names change from Abram to Abraham. But the moment that God talks about Sarai, Abram speaks. And it's in this moment you see where Abram's faith has matured or layered the lack of. Look at verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, As for your for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah. She will be that will be her name. Verse 16. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she'll be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. What's been so cool about the promises which God has given to Abram. When he first spoke to Abram in chapter 12, the promise was narrow. But as God has been patient with Abram along the way, the the covenant, the promise that now has become a covenant, has been expanded to not only will you bless the nations, but from you will come kings. I want you to notice Abram's response. Because initially when he saw the Lord appear for the first time, he fell down and worshipped. Reverently, and when he hears his old wife is about to give birth to a son, look at his response, verse 17, then Abram fell on his face. This is the second time the writer wants you to know this. It's the first time it was worship. The second time he fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now the nature of his laugh is significant. For his laughter is not one of praise the Lord. It's one of disbelief. And remind you, Abram is resourceful. He has wealth beyond his means. Why? Because God drew him out of Ur and has placed him in the promised land and given him livestock, gold, and silver. He has allies all by the the, the grace of God who has raised him up. He is who he is because of God. 
and the promise he had given to him. But the son, this issue of the son, when he hears that it's going to come from Sarah, he laughs in disbelief. The reality is, is that, you know what? This has been 13 years since the last time we see a conversation between Abram and God. But for 25 years, almost, Abram has been waiting. He has been waiting 25 years for the son to come. And when God says, the son's coming, Abram laughs in disbelief. And his laughter is in disbelief. And he points once again to someone else. Look at verse 18. And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. It'd be easier. He's still a man after 13 years yet to grow in maturity of faith, to trust the God, to do that which he said he could do. And all he can see is the limitation of his physical position and Sarah's, that when he hears about what God promises he would do, he laughs in disbelief. God won't let him for the next portion of this chapter speak. Fact, look at verse 19. God said, no. It's, a, it's, a, it's an emphasis of statement. It's been 25 years now, Abraham. So let me get precise where this son is coming from. It's not coming from Hagar. It's not Lot. It's not Eliezer. It's not Ishmael. No, Sarah, your wife, will bear, your, bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. You laugh. You're going to name him Laughter. Isaac, joke's on you. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And you see the graciousness of God for Ishmael is indeed his first through Hagar. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly, and he shall become the father of twelve princes. I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. God here is being specific. Whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. And he doesn't let Abram or Abraham respond. Look at verse 22. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Like, now this is how it's going to work. What a unique, wonderful opportunity for us as the reader to observe a man's faith after 13 years. And it's not just Abraham that we get to observe. And I said it already, it's easy to reflect on someone else's faith, the lack of thereof. And our convictional response here in a moment, that's where I want to be highly reflective. These things were given for our benefit. But let's look at Sarah's maturity. I think I can deal with it quickly. The same situation, just as I stressed in the intro of the last point, or last section with Abraham, Sarah's maturity is put on display. The Lord appears. Abram, Abraham sees him wants to have a feast with the Lord. He provides the greatest food and resources. And Sarah is off to cook it. 
In verse 9, you see the discussion begin at the table. The Lord says in verse 9, And they said to him, Where is Sarai, your wife? And he said, There in the tent. And notice here in verse 10, the Lord's even going to put here in the next couple of verses, even the time period in which the sun will come. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. Like, it's going to happen. Come back next year. She's ready. The sun will come. Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. What a wonderful opportunity for us. Where is Sarah in her faith? Abraham and Sarah were old. It's like the writer doesn't want you to forget. They're ancient. As we speak at Reliance, they're established, right? They're, they're well off. Now, Abraham and Sarah were well off. We're old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. And she laughed, verse 12. So you got Abraham who, who hears the promises of God and responds in disbelief. Sarah is in the same position. Sarah laughed to herself and saying, After I have become old, shall I have the pleasure, my Lord being old also. This is impossible. What is the writer doing with what he's presenting us with? I mean, to be fair, Abraham and Sarah have not been perfect, right? They have, but pretty fair on the other side of it too, they have responded in faith. Go, go to the land which I tell you to go. Leave your family, your relatives. Abraham goes. That's your lot. He brought Lot. God took care of that. There's five kings which are t- trying to get into the promised land, and Abraham trusts in the Lord and chases them off. Chapter 15 Abraham is told by the Lord, You will be the father of many nations. Look at the stars in the heavens. And he believes. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham and Sarah are not faithless, but they are indeed selectively choosing what to believe. And how to respond even in disbelief. And what you're going to find is the call which God puts before them. He is in, he's not satisfied Partial faith or selective faith, in which he corrects her, just as Abraham was corrected by God in verse 14. He says, Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, and at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Poor Sarah. Sarah denied it. However, saying, I did not laugh. Yeah, the, the God who sees all things, you're going to argue with him. For she was afraid. She realizes that her faith or unbelief has been perceived from God. Attempts to hide it. And he said, No, but you did laugh. The maturity of their faith after 13 years, as the reader or the writer places it before us, seems to be unchanged. 
They're, they're willing to trust themselves in some of the promises. But this issue of a son, they can't let go of it. And they try to find their own ways to produce him. And after 25 years, God says, I'm going to do it. In the next year, their response is, yeah, right. They're, they're holding on to unbelief. Even when God is talking to them. Point two. In 25 years, to be patient with someone is a long time. Right? I'd give up. I wonder if that's why when we read Genesis 17, the repetitious language, I will establish, I will multiply, I will make, I will establish, I will give, I will, I will be their God. The covenant which he is promising Abram and Abraham or Sarah is based upon God's will. But there is still, even in this repetitious language of reminding Abraham and Sarah of the promise, invitation. Look at verse 1 of chapter 17. Skipped over it in the previous point for this purpose. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am the one who created all the stars in the heavens. Go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. All of the earth and the heavens has been created by the God Almighty. And the invitation which he gives before Abraham is what? Walk before me and be blameless. Now the reader, the reader has got to think to himself, he can't. He has been unfaithful in the ways that he has pursued the promises of God. I remember the time when he said to Pharaoh, it's not my wife, it's actually my sister. Or you remember the time when he listened to his wife and slept with Hagar to produce Ishmael. The times in which Abram has to be perfect and blameless have been in the past. And yet, God puts before him this invitation. What is this invitation? Because God, while he extends it, believes it can be fulfilled. And if you're like me, blameless carries this idea of perfection. And I think that is, that is unhelpful. It, it carries the idea, rather, of being found faithful and being one who fully depends upon God for everything. Walk before me and trust in me. Find all the promises which I have promised to you to be found in me, not in your own ability. And even though he has a history of not being 
blameless. The invitation has still been granted to respond fully in dependence upon God. In spite of what he has done historically. That's cool. The patience which God is extending towards Abraham. And this means, therefore, that if you do this, I will establish my covenant with you. And Abraham falls on his face as he experiences once again the grace of God. Who is patient. But mind you, even while God is being one who is handing invitation once again, there is expectation. Look at verse 9. I will do these things, but you will respond. And God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you throughout their generation. This is my covenant which you shall keep. You have a responsibility. How do you walk with him blamelessly? And he is going to, and I must be careful because I know people get weirded out with circumcision. But God says, the thing that which you think gives life is not me. And so you'll cut it. As a representation that you believe in the promises of God and in the one who gives life. And you'll be marked with that faith physically. And he says in verse 14, by the way, if anyone refuses, verse 14, but if an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people, has broken my covenant. And it becomes this, this sign of one's commitment or one's trusting in the Lord to provide the promise. And he'll be marked by it. Which we're going to be reminded regularly about Abraham. Now, now remember, right? So for 13 years... Abraham and Sarah don't seem like they've gotten very far in their faith. Father does something for us here. He provides us Abraham's response. And I like it. How long does he wait? Look at, jump down to verse 23. He gets rebuked for laughing. God heads up and goes away. Verse 23, then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house. Imagine that conversation. You're going to do what? <laughs> That's the point, right? And all who were brought, bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin, that very same day. Immediate response. Upon hearing again of the graciousness of God extended to him, in spite of his unfaithfulness, God says, walk with me. Be blameless. And Abraham's, I'm in. And that very day, he gathers all the men 
within his household, and he circumcises every single one of them. Verse 24, he was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the foreskin. And for the second time, the point being, in the very same day, Abraham was circumcised, Ishmael and Ishmael, his son, all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Immediate obedience. Walk with me. Be blameless today. Abraham does this. Let's go to our convictional response. It shouldn't take us 25 years to respond like that. Like, When God shows up to Abraham, so to speak, checks in on him, he's extending grace to Abraham in spite of him and Sarai's disbelief. They have chosen selectively how to respond to the promises of God. Oh, the land? We'll go. The money? We'll go. Livestock, we'll trust you for that. The reputation around the nations, we'll trust you for that. The sun, no way. And they walk for 25 years practicing selective faith. The standard which he put before Abraham and Sarah was this. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be Blameless. Trust in me in everything. This is not unfamiliar language for you and I who have walked through Genesis. It was Enoch who walked with Lord and the Lord blessed him for that. It was Noah who was blameless before the Lord and the Lord blessed him for that. What he is asking of Abraham is, would you just trust me? In fact, even after being drawn, the nation of Israel is pulled out of the nation of uh, Egypt. God literally carries them out and he places them in his protection. He calls them in Deuteronomy 18, verse 13, to the very same standard. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. You'll trust him for everything and walk with me. This is the standard in which I am looking for as you walk with me. Now, if you understand this, the New Testament, you see the same God requiring the same thing. He wants your complete, utter dependence upon Him. Not selectively, but fully. The the correlating word of Hebrew from blameless in the New Testament is the word perfect. And it's this very language which Jesus speaks with at his first sermon in which he lays out how those who follow him should live. And in the middle of his sermon, he says in Matthew 5, 48, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You're supposed to be utterly dependent upon me. 
Jesus requires that, that, that this is me whom you be, should be dependent upon. There is this, there's this concern that we ought to have that Abraham was, I think, theologically minded, that God could fulfill his promises, but that theology didn't move into practice, in which he lived out his faith. Rather, he selectively chose portions of the theology which he could believe and then took of his own will that which he could believe and disaster comes after that. Ishmael being one of the worst situations he had to deal with. Impacted, I'm sure, his marriage for quite some time. And that same standard which Christ who's the same God which spoke to Abraham, said, ever you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father. And he is calling the people. Remember, I don't have this here for you. But he rebukes the religious leaders for having an idea of who God is. And he says in verse 20, chapter 5 of Matthew, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. The theology which they believed did not move into practice. And when she goes, if you do believe in me, this is how you ought to live. If you're angry, you'll reconcile. If you want to live faithfully and purely, you will not commit adultery with your body and with your eyes. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You won't judge another before you've reflectively thought on your, about yourself. Which then makes sense, at least in my mind, for why Jesus uses the language of a cross. Matthew 16, 24, in which he presses before his disciples this standard. Jesus said to his disciples, anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The standard is to walk with God blamelessly. Not selectively. He wants all of you, which includes myself, even in the areas that you distrust him. Because he wants to be first and foremost. And when we realize this, the standard that he put before Abraham and throughout the rest of the world, it's that when we capture that, then we realize why God has set it up the way he has. For God has created man to bear his image and to be in his likeness. And if we're acting contrary to him, walking outside of fellowship with him, we aren't bearing his image to the world. And so we become selective, don't we? So we pray the Lord's Prayer, but ignore passages like, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your other, if you do not, your Father, Heavenly, oh, excuse me, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you, but we don't like reading verse 15, but if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So the theology impacts my practice by whom I believe he is. And so if my God is a forgiving God, I don't selectively get to choose. Ah, yeah, right. 
I'd rather get to walk with God, expressing Him, living in dependence upon Him, walking in that blameless perfection which He has modeled before us in Christ to one another. Abram, excuse me, Abraham and Sarah had a 25-year issue. A 25-year issue. And it's easy to consider the faith of others and not the faith of our own. What's your issue? You act one way here and another way elsewhere? It's selective Christianity. Do you act differently when you're with people than while you're alone? God wants everything. Whether you're in public, whether you're at the workplace, whether you're at the church, school, He wants everything from you. What a crazy standard. But the promise is phenomenal. For you'll be my light to the world. A city on a hill. And they will see the glory of God through you. Not to praise you, but the one who has been patient with such unfaithful people. I love Genesis. And that God continues to be gracious Extending his hand of favor to a man who wavers. And I pray that you and I would not have to wait 25 years to get that. Embedded into our hearts and walk utterly dependent on him for everything. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have used Abraham and Sarah not just for our generation, but from every generation since then. How humble it will be to meet them one day and to be able to acknowledge our own failures too, but to praise the God who has held us fast. We plead with you, don't give up on us. We cling to your promises. He who began a good work in us shall see it to completion. But we do acknowledge, just as you granted to Abraham a human human responsibility to trust in the promises of God. And so, Lord, I pray wherever our issues might be, Lord, I pray today we give it up and trust in your way rather than our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.